Welcome to Startup Climb, where we bring you interviews with startup founders. Through this podcast, we hope to go behind the curtains to find out where it all begins. This is an inside look on their journey, their struggles, and how they overcome adversity. Today on the podcast, we have Daryl Lim, co-founder of Augmentus. Augmentus is a robotics technology startup that offers a full-stack, code-free robotic automation platform that enables non-technical users to develop dynamic robotic systems with high speed and accuracy. Welcome, Daryl. Hi, Daryl. Hey, hi, man. How are you, man? How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. So, like, uh, I'd like to just dive right in. For listeners that might not know of Augmentus and your team, could you share a little bit on what you guys do? Yeah, so Augmentus, we are providing, uh, I think we're the, we're the most first, full-stack code-free robotic automation platform that enables non-technical operators to develop entire robotic systems with high speed and accuracy. So our product is pretty interesting because we utilize mixed reality, uh, augmented reality to be specific, to enable a 3D visualization of the workspace. So to allow the non-technical operator to basically program robotic waypoints in 3D space, yeah, at sub-millimeter accuracy. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that, that basic, that's basically what we, what we do, yeah. Right, so how big is your team actually? Just curious. Currently right now, we are a team of seven and we are looking to expand in the coming weeks and months, yeah. Right. So um, I think like your, like I think you mentioned that you were like a world's first um, in the in the field, in this particular um, product that you have. So how do you stumble across this idea or this concept at the start? What was the problem that you identified? Yeah, so it's it's not me actually. It was my co-founder, Yongshin. Yeah, you can you guys you guys search him on LinkedIn. It's a it's an amazing guy. Yeah. So he was a former technical lead at ASTAR. So he left ASTAR to do augmentus full time. So we we both of us we met at some uh, industrial 4.0 event. And we both of us we understand the pain points of automation, which is two things, uh high difficulty of programming the robotic system, and also the the fragmented ecosystem of today. So, I, I mean, just want to paint an example so it's easier for the audience to understand. Uh, so, imagine that you want, imagine that you're a car, manu- car painting company, right? And you want to automate the car painting process. So, first, you've got to buy a robotic arm, right? But then you have to hire or outsource a robotic programmer because it's so difficult to program robotic arms. And that costs about $100,000 a year. Yeah, because you have, to, you have to pay the guy a decent salary. And then you have to purchase software. That software usually costs about twenty twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So collectively it can cost over $133,000 a year just to program the robot, not even counting the hardware itself. Right. Yeah. And it's very fragmented. So if let's say a, a system wants to do dynamic automation, so dynamic automation means like robotic arms having intelligence, you have to hire a robotic specialist, then you have to hire a machine vision specialist. So it's very fragmented. And uh, for us, we are providing a full stack platform to basically uh, integrate and unify the entire ecosystem. So, so I mean, that's that's where the idea came out because of all these uh, pain points and problem statements of the today's processes in automation. So uh, Yongshin, he comes from a background in automation. Uh, he he basically came up with the idea and he shared it with me and I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. Okay, let's let's do some validation. Let's do some testing. So during the first few weeks of us meeting, uh, we immediately talked to like, like dozens of uh, system integrators, dozens of robotic arm manufacturers and we realized that our solution, uh, even though it hasn't been developed yet, it has a key part to play in solving the problem statements of today. Yeah, so that was last year. So right now, we are confident to say that it does solve the problem statements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Okay, so now that you've got this um, whole setup running when you talk about like how you met your co-founder and uh, and how you all developed the idea along the way, how far into starting Augmentus before you meet your first hire and what qualities do you look for in your employee? Because I think a lot of uh, founders, right, their first hire would normally be quite instrumental in the success of the startup. So how do you find the first person? Yeah, so I mean... We are relatively new startup, so we are less than okay. So we are form. I think it's been over slightly over a year now that we have started right. started our mentors, and our first hire was actually uh, an engineer. So the fact is that we are deep tech. We are we are deep tech startup, so we need a lot of uh, product development expertise to join. So right. we place a lot of focus on software development. Yeah, and that was the key hire that we had to make. The first key hire that we had to make. Yeah, so I think for us, it was a pretty much a no-brainer for us. And I think for most uh, startups or people looking to start a business, if let's say you do not have the technical capabilities in-house, you need to hire someone either as a CTO or as a co-founder or, or as an employee. For us, we, we have the technical capabilities in-house, but the reality is that uh, we are very, very deep tech. So we still need more manpower for software development. And that's why we made the, the, the decision to hire uh a software developer, yeah. Right, but how do you find this guy exactly? Like, like what? Mm. Like, I'm sure if there are like a few applications, how do you choose in the end of the day? Like, what was the decision making calculus? Mm, I think okay. So me and my co-founder, we uh, one of the philosophies that we had was that we prioritize mindset over skill set because the reality is that, especially for our software, is that we are actually combining different technologies into one. So mixed reality, mobile app programming, artificial intelligence into one platform. So the chance of us finding a, a person that would be able to, to do all three is, is almost impossible unless you pay them. Unless it's a super genius that we pay them like 10, 10k a month or something. So we can't afford that anyway. So yeah. So we know that they have to learn. And the growth mindset is the most important. So then the question to us is how do we identify the growth mindset? <laughs> it's super difficult. But for right. us, we ask a lot of questions. We get asked like case, case examples. And also, your past experience usually tends to, to I guess, uh, associate with your personality. So what you did in the past, in poly, in JC, or even in university, usually indicates a personality that you have, a mindset that you have the mindset to learn more and so on. Yeah. So for us, uh, the, pri- the primary objective was the growth mindset. And of course, we did some technical tests with uh, our applicants as well. But most of them, they would be able to pass the, the technical test. So it's really more about learning, the ability to learn fast. Because in a startup, if you don't learn, you're going to fail. Yeah. So, right. so that, that was one of the key uh, attributes that we wanted to, to have for our hire. Actually, for all hires, even right now as so, well, uh, one of the key traits we always try to have is the growth mindset. And I think most startups that I talk to, so they, they, they see this as a very, very high importance in their priority. Right. Yeah. All right, for sure. But let's circle a little bit back to um, your startup because I think you did mention earlier that you are like a relatively new startup. So how do you choose to allocate resources when you first start? Like which area do you focus on? What's important to you? Okay, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 that's, I think that's a very, very good question that's not being asked enough, uh, especially in the startup scene. So it's super difficult because you know everyone is pushing you to be lean, to be lean, to be lean. But then if you don't spend, you can't grow. So what? Right. So so the question to us is, what what should you be lean on and what should you spend on? So for us, our philosophy is that rental space, uh, work from home. If you, 
if you are in NUS, try to apply for incubation spot at NUS Enterprise. Or there's so many other incubation uh, facilities and programs out there that you can definitely apply for. Like I was just speaking to quite a number of incubation companies that want to start their own incubation spots. So I'm quite sure there's a lot of... Uh, of avenues for you to not spend on rental office. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so if you want to rent an office to start, uh, I would say no. Uh, especially at early, early stage startup. Uh, if you got some funding, then then by all means, you know, uh, do what you must. So rentals out. Uh, but for us, the main priority is uh, how do we get the product out as fast as possible. So if you know about this whole concept of the lean startup, minimum viable product is is the key thing. So how do you get that MVP out to begin user testing, to begin validating the policy statement? So that was our key focus, uh, getting the MVP out, the minimum viable product out. So uh, that involves a few things. So for us, it was development hardware, that's number one, and development manpower. So the key hire, uh, as Ihuan asked, there, there is one, that's the biggest one. Then the second one was development hardware. So we actually bought like robotic arms, uh, and any factors to assist us in developing. Yeah, because with those uh, development hardware and the manpower, we, we are able to generate the minimum viable product out as fast as possible. Then we showcase to our, our, our prospective clients. Then they are, oh, this is super interesting. Let's do some partnership. Let's, let's work something out. Yeah. So that right. should be the, the, the biggest priority, I would say, getting the MVP out. Yeah. Right. But what about marketing i think um getting the mvp out is one thing but then the other part of it is that you have to let people know that you have this product right you have to let people know and you have to try to generate some eyeballs on it if not like even though you have the minimum viable product if nobody's talking about it it's very hard to generate interest uh especially maybe when it comes to the investors perspective like investors interest so like um do you ever consider that aspect as well uh so my perspective, because I'm in B2B, right? So maybe right. I have a bit of a skewed perspective. But my perspective is that marketing at a very, very early stage. So we're talking about like just a formation, like ideation slash validation stage. Right. I think marketing shouldn't be a priority at all. I feel that okay. uh, business development, yes. So getting partners, getting getting clients, uh, yes. So so I think that, that will help to validate the model. Uh, but marketing in general shouldn't be, unless your company is focused around, unless maybe marketing is your USP. I mean, some businesses, marketing is their USP. So so by all means, uh, uh, you can focus on marketing. But if your MVP doesn't require you to, to spend money on marketing, you should you should focus on building the product and testing it with a small sample size. So a very, very niche uh, sample size. Yeah, then that will help to validate the model a lot better. So at the early stage, I would say focus on validation rather than uh, brand awareness and everything like that. Because that, that should come later on after you validate your solution. Yeah, that's my perspective on this, yeah. Right, right, cool. I'd like to, um, I think this is a question that uh, I like to ask um, most of the people that I interview. And that is, what is the quality that, a founder should have in order to have the most chance of success. I think everyone has a different take on it, so I'd love to hear your take on it. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is a very interesting question. Uh, for me, I think, uh, let me just share my process. I think when I first started this out, I always felt like risk-taking is, is probably the biggest uh, personality trait to become an entrepreneur. But then again, uh, the more I go into this, the more I realize that that trait does not make you a successful entrepreneur. It makes you an entrepreneur because you're willing to take risks uh, like let's say you're, you're offered a stable job, but then you're like, no, I want to start on this stuff, you know, that, that makes right. you an entrepreneur, but it doesn't make you a successful entrepreneur. Uh, a trait that I would say makes you a sustain, su- successful entrepreneur is uh, 
self-awareness. So it's a bit, maybe it's a bit of a unique answer, but my perspective is that self-awareness allows you to understand your strengths and your weaknesses. So with your strengths, you should double down on it. Then your weaknesses, you need to delegate to find partners, allies, co-founders, employees that will basically boost yourself up. Because the reality is that if you're able to maximize on your strengths and delegate and find partners that are super good at your weaknesses, you're technically invincible if you think about it. Yeah. Right. So that's how I've been operating my, uh, like me and my co-founder, that's how we operate our, our startup as well. So we always find uh, good talents that will be able to uh, complement our, our weaknesses. We, we don't see ourselves as being like jack of all trades. Uh, I mean, I guess we kind of are because as a startup, you do everything, right? right. But at the end of the day, you do need to find uh, key weaknesses for you to delegate. Yeah. So, right. yeah. For sure. I think that's a very interesting answer, answer actually, because um, I've heard this thing before that like, do what you're good at and what you're not good at, you should find somebody else to do it for you because <laughs> like, you know, you can't be good at everything, right? Yeah. So like, let's go into a bit of the student entrepreneurship. Do you feel that being a student entrepreneur brings forth any uh, struggles or any advantages? Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... I mean, the biggest, okay, let's, let's talk about the bad points first, okay? So, yeah. So, I mean, the obvious one is that it's super difficult to juggle between, like, uh, schoolwork and, and, and work life. Because right. as an entrepreneur, you really are, I mean, as a founder, you are, uh, you are working 24-7 for a startup. If you aren't working 24-7 for a startup, it's not really a, a business or a startup. It's just a side hustle. So, it's, I think it's important for student entrepreneurs to, to differentiate between a side hustle uh, a business and a startup. So a startup is a scalable and, and investable business. A business is like, like maybe selling more traditional traditional stuff, like maybe earrings, clothings, and so on. Then there's also the the side hustle, which is like you can do things at the side and make some make some passive income from there. So it's important to differentiate these three because if you can't differentiate these three, you won't be able to maximize your your, your time and your productivity. Right. So if it's a startup, you need to be full-time into it. Uh, and if you're not full-time into it, then it's very difficult. And as a, as a student, especially myself, uh, last year I was, so I'm currently on leave of absence now as a, as a year three NUS student. But before this, I was uh, I was still studying. So it was super difficult. Uh, <laughs> my, my results dropped a lot. Uh, just just, right. just yeah. letting everyone know. Yeah. So that is probably the biggest one. And the second one also is, I mean, the sad truth is that uh, investors in general, they are a bit turned off when, when you are still a student and you want to get invested. I mean, it makes sense because uh, you, as an investor, once you invest money, you want the founders to be twenty four seven for the next like two or three years, dedicated into the startup so that they can make their return on investment. Right. But if you are a student, that ain't gonna happen because you gotta return back to school unless you can tell them that. I will drop out of school. But how many of you can say that you can drop out of school? For me, I, 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 I don't know, man. For me, I, I can't, I can't outrightly say that, yes, I'll drop out of school now if you invest in my startup. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a difficult decision. Uh, for me, I'm on the fence on that as well. So, yes, I think that is probably one, another negative on, on being a student entrepreneur. Yeah. So, I think it goes back to the point of being able to differentiate between a side hustle of business and a startup. So if it's right. a real startup, you're really dedicated to it, then you need to be committed to uh, say, I'm going to quit school and do this full time. Yeah. I think you need to have that thought every day in your mind if you are doing this as a full time. If you really think this can be successful. Yeah. Because you will be asked that question if you want to get invested. Yeah. 
So that is more of the bad side. But the good side is, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not painting too bleak a picture, but the good side, there's not certain good side. So uh, being a student gives you that safe space to really explore and experiment. Right. And the chance of you finding a co-founder in, in, in uni or in college or in poly is very high because, because there are certain like groups like, like NUS, Entrepreneurship Society, that are tailored to make you find like-minded individuals uh, with complementary skill sets for you to start your own business. Yeah. So, and it's a safe space because if you do something wrong, you can always fall back to being a student. And right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And it's a it's an it's an amazing uh, positive and opportunity as a student to explore entrepreneurship. But then it's a bit like an oxymoron because once you find the right thing, then it's very difficult for you to get investment because student entrepreneurship in general is. It's a bit tricky. Yeah, you need to be able to convince the investor that you are worth it, even as a student. Yeah, right. I'd like to get your insights on one particular aspect that I feel might be of interest to student entrepreneurs, and that is the mentorship aspect of it. Because I I feel that, in my opinion, as a student, you have more access to mentorship, and you get to talk to more people that are willing to share because they see that hey, you are still learning, right? So, do you feel that like that's the case for you? Like, would that be an advantage in your case? Mm. I would say, I mean, I would say that's true. Uh, that's definitely true. So before I started on mentors, I was still like a year one NUS student. And, and I received a lot of mentorship from, from, uh, from people just, just by being a student. Because, because uh, as an adult, uh, I think they are more inclined to help students because you're still learning and growing. And you have the time, to be honest, because I mean, summer, summer break is like three months. <laughs> right. So you have, yeah. you have a lot of time. Yeah. So uh, I really, I really agree with that statement. But then again, uh, being a founder right now, I'm also getting mentorship from uh, quite a few, quite a number of people as well. So I don't think being a student, I think student gives you an, an advantage to receive a mentorship. But then again, I think that advantage isn't that big as well. It just gives you the opportunity to network with more people. But then again, you also can do that as an adult. So right, uh, yeah. So I, 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 I would partially agree with that statement. Yeah. Right. What about your nature of your startup being deep tech? Because I guess in a tertiary environment where you are constantly on like the cutting edge of technology, right? Do you feel that uh, being a student entrepreneur in your case with this whole industry being in like deep tech actually helps? Mm, not, okay. I would say not really actually. Like we didn't right. really get much support or maybe being in NUS didn't give me much support or advantage. I think being detailed may make it worse because uh, it's less relatable to your friends, your peers, your, your, right. your students, even your, even your lecturers as well, you know, because we are such a niche uh, uh, startup, robotics automation, robotic arms automation in manufacturing. So pretty niche uh, and that niche means that it's harder for you to validate in, in, in school. So you need right. to get out there and, and, and like work on manufacturing and stuff like that. Uh, but I know of some startups like they let's say they do FMB right or like they do a post a POS system for FMB. You can just go down to Utown and just ask like the restaurants there. Hey, do you mind using my POS POS system? See that that makes it a bit easier because as a student right. you can just ask. But uh, for us, no, not not really. Uh, we didn't. None none of our clients are based on NUS. I think that's that's something I can share. But the right. real value we get out of it is that the mentorship that you spoke about before. As a student, I think it's a lot easier to get that as well. Yeah. For sure, for sure. What about uh, this whole situation right now? Because I think we are in a very unique uh, 
time where like there's this whole virus and this whole work from home uh, situation. I think like you mentioned earlier that you begin from this work from home, like you didn't believe in like spending money in office space because there's inefficient resource allocation uh, in, in your opinion. But um, did this whole COVID situation change the way you operate your startup? Mm, actually, yes. Yeah. So, so I think one, one of the biggest like uh, company values that we set is like cooperative, uh, interconnectedness and just learning from one another. So we are always at our office uh, like meeting sorry, like meeting each other and just discussing about things. So right now, in due to COVID-19, we're actually working from home. So all of us are doing remote working and it's not as efficient. So, uh, yeah, so I mean, it definitely impacted the business. And also the reality is that we are a development company. So we are, uh, we, have, we are heavily focused on R&D. So we need the hardware to develop our projects and so on. So on that angle, it also impacted in terms of client projects, the, the deadlines and timelines and so on. So yes, it definitely affected. Uh, but in terms of a team play, yeah, not as much, but it's still affected because we can't see each other. We can't, we can't discuss things and we're not as productive as we are in the office, definitely. Yeah. Right. So like, do you do anything to like sort of mitigate or like pivot so far from like to make yourself more efficient? Or are there like any tips that you, you do personally uh, to ensure that your company still runs as smoothly as possible? Yeah, we... Uh, so at, at the start of uh, CB, we we were playing around with A-B testing, but then the government did the CB, so we had to work from home. So no more A-B testing. Uh, so instead, so right now, the team, the technical team and the business team, we are a lot of focus on, so technical side is focused on, on product development. So they have, uh, every two days, they have a meeting and, and just go deep into getting the nitty gritty sorted out. So technical side, I think it's fine, but business side, we've changed quite a fair bit. So instead of doing more marketing, collaterals and stuff, we've decided to a bit pivot more towards just talking uh, internationally with clients and customers and finding out and trying to really, really understand uh, like as deep as possible the pain point and trying to get more projects also on board. So right now, I mean, I'm going to share with you, I just had a call with a Korean uh, uh, system integrator earlier this morning and the call was amazing I mean you would never maybe me personally I would never have this call if it's not for COVID-19 because I would be prioritizing my my Singapore meetings which is usually offline and I have to travel like, right. like, like half an hour one hour for the meetings so it takes a lot of my time out of the day traveling takes a lot of time on my day so Zoom calls international calls is becoming a lot more easier to do because you have more time and right. I do encourage people to try, just try to arrange the call. And I realize people do business development and like emailing in general. They like to converse over email. Uh, if you're listening, I do encourage all of us, all of you to also just try to initiate a, a call. It's a lot easier when the person understands that uh, we are human beings, you know, uh, we, we are friendly, we're nice. Then they will, they will want to do a partnership with you or, or be your client even. So I, w- I would encourage... Uh, to try to get more calls done during this period. Right. It will make a world of a difference, yeah. So, like, after um, talking to, like, the Korean system integrators and uh, having more international calls, like, are you reprioritizing your strategy to make it more international or are you still focused on the locals? Mm. So, we are still focused on Southeast Asia and Asia, that's for sure. Uh, but if there's a tremendous uh, synergy and opportunity in a not too distant country we would definitely explore that but our go-to market still remains the same uh, I think for a few reasons 
our space is very te- te- technically inclined. So right. we, so the support given to our clients is very, very important. It's something that they prioritize over everything else. So they prioritize over the cost of the product. They prioritize over the, the speed and the benefits of the product. They want that level of technical support. That's something that is that is integral to, to, to a startup like ours. So right. uh, technical support, I think, goes hand, hand in hand with uh, with ge- geographical uh, availability, yeah. So we are based in Singapore, so Southeast Asia has to be our has to be our main focus for now. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's go a little bit into a reflective uh, state with like some questions on reflection. I think like the first question that I really want to ask on it is like, what what was your struggle? Like greater struggles thus far, and like how do you overcome it, or like what do you learn from it? So, I think. When, I, when we first started uh, Augmentus, I mean, it was a different name back then. Uh, it's quite funny now. <laughs> but uh, when we first started Augmentus, uh, the biggest challenge I had, because I was I was more of the business brain behind Augmentus, is right. how do we convey Augmentus, like, like product, our, our offering, our value propositions in a way that a layman can understand. So, I mean, you can talk to my co-founder about this. Like, we had so much troubles doing it, man. Yeah, because robotics is so niche and uh, the technical terms behind it is it's very hard to find synonyms that are easy to understand. Right. So we had very a lot of difficulty. So we attended quite a few like competitions and like like uh like startup weekend we were there. So and then we were there for like the NUS Enterprise pitch night. But both instances we didn't like win anything, like not even top three or anything. So uh I mean I think every founder thinks that the idea is amazing. Is I think it's right, how for sure, yeah, for sure. Convey that idea in a way that's understandable. <laughs> so yeah, that was a big challenge for us. I think right now we have a better understanding of how to do that, like how to storytell, how to to pitch it in a way that anyone can can at least understand what we're doing and be kind of at least a bit impressed of what we're doing. Yeah. So yeah. So I think we we managed to find a solution around that. But how we found it was we actually me personally I I pitch it to like my family, my friends, ask them for feedback then. I spend like one hour, if they say they don't get it, I spend like one hour explaining to them what these terms mean. Then they're like, oh, why don't you use these terms? Yeah. Right. And I'm like, okay, oh, this is pretty interesting. Yeah. Because when you're doing a startup like 24-7, right, you would think that like you know everything, but the reality is that you're in this like tunnel vision, you know, like you're in this filter bubble that outside people can help to burst. Yeah. So getting feedback from other people that even may not even be your industry, that's even better. That will help you to, to really frame that solve that issue. I mean, right. they, they, see, they, they see this before, right? Like, if you're able to explain it to a five-year-old, you, that means you understand the problem and the solution. Yeah, so I think it's a perfect thing. Yeah. Let's talk about your experience. I think just now you did mention about like competitions and hackathons and stuff like that. So, how much of a role do you feel that um, it is very, very important for a startup to go through all these competitions in order to receive validation? Mm, I think if it's your, it's your first time starting a business and or maybe you want to find a co-founder or you want to find allies you know to join your cause yeah like yeah, it sounds like a political campaign but yeah it kind of is actually <laughs> so uh, hackathons are amazing because you are able to find like like people that that kind of like like you know are on your same wavelength that they want to solve your problem so Startup Weekend is a big one I think so Startup Weekend uh, me and my co-founder we, we were at it uh, then when we pitched the idea, uh, people interested wanted to join. Yeah, so you are able to test whether or not these people are basically have the same work ethic and work style as you, and are able to contribute to the whole uh, startup. 
right. through hackathons. I think hackathons are probably the best way to find co-founders. The biggest reason why is because you're able to test uh, the, the, the synergy that you guys have. Because you'll be working like 24-7, like three days non-stop, sleepless nights, you know, trying to get that product out. So you'll be able to see whether or not like, is, like can we click on a friend level, on a work level and so on. So I right. think that's right. a perfect way. Hackathons are pretty important. In terms of validation though, I don't think it's that important for validation in my opinion because the judges do not, the judges are not from the industry. I think it's a good, uh, it's good uh, testing ground to see whether or not your idea is investable. So investable and validated is different because just because you can, com- you can convince an investor to invest in you. I mean, it's kind of correlated, but it doesn't mean that it's the same thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so I think it's good to, to see whether it's investable, but validation is something else entirely. Yeah. Right. So would you advise a student to go into student entrepreneurship? Oh man, that's a, that's a, that's a big question, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, thank, thanks for it. I mean, I think I shared with you before, before the call, uh, that when I first started out like entrepreneurship back in polytechnic, I really felt that anyone can, can do it, you know, like, like, is this a, a, a information inefficiency or like a, a lack of information that's hindering them? So back then, my philosophy was like, anyone can start, you know, an Amazon store and just start selling. Because, I mean, Singapore purchasing power is pretty high. So right. you should be able to make a decent income and profit just by doing a side gig like that. Yeah, and you can call yourself an entrepreneur, you know. But now that I'm really, really big inside this over the past few months and years, I would say that it's not for everyone. Uh, I think... I think the biggest part to do about this is also the risk factor. So as I mentioned before, risk allows you to, to jump the, the gun and be an entrepreneur. But I, I've spoken to a lot of my friends because I think back then I was an avid believer just starting on business. So I shared with my friend, hey, bro, why don't you just start like a sports wear company? You're such a good sportsman, you know, start. Uh, but then he didn't want to start because he, he, he fears, you know, he has that fear to start. Uh, and my friend also, he, she does amazing like jewelry and painting, but she doesn't want to do anything about it. She just wants to live life normally. And back then I thought it was a wrong decision, but now looking back, I think it's, I mean, who, who, who am I to say, right? Uh, as long as you're happy, as long as you want to live the life that you want to live, that's fine. So it's a, it's a different risk appetite. I think that is what it boils down to. And if I were to say that entrepreneurship is for everyone, I would say I'm lying. It's not for everyone. You need a certain risk appetite and a certain mindset to succeed. And not everyone has that, sadly. I mean, not even sadly. I think it's, it's just, a, uh, it's, it's kind of a beauty of life, but like everyone is different. If everyone right. is an entrepreneur, then life is pretty boring as well. So so what's the point? So, right? yeah. Let's talk about it then. Um, the trade-off. What do you trade off in order to become an entrepreneur? What was the biggest one that you were like... Uh, I still I like I, I really don't want to give this up but I have to in order to 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 do full time into this. Oh the biggest one for me, oh that was easy, man. <laughs> so the biggest one for me was NOC. So uh, I I mean if you're not from NUS, uh NUS is this program called the NUS Overseas College. Uh so back I think last year I was accepted into the NUS Silicon Valley uh, right. program. So it's a pretty prestigious program, I would say. Like you, you get to study in Stanford, you get to work in uh, like some Silicon Valley startup. And you get to like kind of like enjoy life in, in, in San Francisco. Not only enjoy life, but you're hustling. But that's part of enjoying yourself. So yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of like my dream because you're in San Francisco, you, you get to embrace the culture of Silicon Valley. Uh, you get to learn from people that maybe you admired for years, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, but then 
the opportunity of Augmentus came up. So, yeah, I had to make a decision. And, and back then, uh, it was a tough decision. Like, it was really tough. Uh, I, I consulted with almost everyone I know. Like, even my friends, my mentors, my family. Yeah, most people told me I was a bit... A bit, a bit insane, lah. You know, to 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 give up an opportunity like NOC Silicon Valley to right. go to to do my startup that may not that has a ninety nine point ninety eight percent chance of failing. You know, based on statistics, yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, now looking back, I would say that I did. I don't. I don't regret uh, what I did. I, I guess maybe to share so is how how I made the decision to not go NOC is. Is based on regret. So if I were to choose NOC, would I, how much would I regret not doing Augmentus? If I were to choose Augmentus, how much would I regret not going NOC? And I would, I would regret more not doing Augmentus than regret more right. not doing NOC. So yeah. So I it, it was it was a clear decision. Is it it was more of a rationally it was a very clear decision. Emo, emotionally was super difficult. And right. even right now I would say that is probably one of the biggest decisions I had to make in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I'm glad I made the decision I made. Yeah, to do augmentors full time. Yeah. I, I feel like as long as you you at the end of the day you look back and you'll be like, hey, even though it's painful, it's still the right decision. I think that's when you know you have made the right decision. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. But but when you're in it, you know, like like okay, because some people yeah, are not really like, I'm not I mean they're logical, but sometimes that emotion takes control of them. For sure. So yeah, it's it's not easy to to really separate the, the rational and the log the emotional part. It's, I mean, today is still not easy for me. So I respect right. people that, I mean, I, I deeply respect people that had to make sacrifices to start their own business because I personally know what it's like to do that. Yeah. Be, be it a job, be it an opportunity. I mean, if you're, if you're doing this full time, I'm heads off to you, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, let, let, let's have a conversation. I would love to, <laughs> to, to, to know right. <laughs> I'm sure, man. Yeah. So let's let's go on to like the flip side of the coin now. What was your biggest accomplishment or achievement so far at Augmentus where you can look back and be like, hey, I, I'm quite proud that or I'm quite amazed that I actually did this. Yeah. Okay, so like right now we are we are closing our, our seed round, uh investment round. So we're about to close, so I I'm not gonna say that for now. But the biggest uh accomplishment I would say uh moving uh forward or behind me was Actually, when I first won, I won like my, my first competition per se using augment, uh, true augmenters. So it was this like NUS enterprise, like pitch night or something along those lines. Then uh, there was like 40 plus startups. And after pitching, they, they said like we won, you know, like the judges' choice. And like, yeah. And before, you must understand though, before that, we were like shot left, right, center, up, down with like, because we can't, we can't make, make our pitch relatable to the audience. Right. Uh, so I think we through that like, it was a very difficult process. Like uh, me and my co-founder were like, like thinking about what's the best way to to portray uh, augmenters and yeah, and uh, it was uh, it was a big big truth for me because after that that competition, I realized that this pitching style, this storytelling works, and it wasn't it was very difficult to find that style. So yeah, I would say it's the biggest milestone. Uh, as of yet, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sure there are like more milestones to come. Yeah, but <laughs> which, what qualities um, do you feel that like you, in particular, like you possess that would make you like successful per se? Hmm. 
what's your greatest strength? Because I think just now you mentioned a little bit about self-awareness. Yeah. So like now it's like on you, like what is your greatest strength? Yeah. I think for me, for me, it's really about, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm very good at uh, perspective taking. So uh, positioning in general. So uh, in general, when I, when I do uh, projects or engage with clients, I, I'm able to basically, or at least I'm, I would think that I'm good at uh, standing in the position of the person I'm speaking to and trying to understand what's their incentive uh, for right. wanting to work with us, for instance. So, and and that is a very very key strength I realized. So because it's 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 very it's very necessary in business development, sales, and even marketing. Yeah, and that's something that I always try to instill in all my interns and my employees because uh, if you do not know what your target audience is and, and, and why your target audience will want to use your, your product, right? Then what are you doing, man? You know, yeah, you need to be able to have at least a, a preliminary understanding of that so that you're able to cater the content and your, and your words uh, in a way that will appeal to their personality. So I would say that is really more one of my key strengths, uh, positioning in general, yeah. Right. And, and looking back, I think it's, it's the, this, this, this attribute is a result of my past work experience. So I was working in Seagate, I was working in, in Citibank, I was working as, in a media company or so before this. And I also had my own business before. So uh, I had to really stand in the positions of many, many different people. And that allowed me to, to really try to empathize and, and, and understand how to write things out. And also another trait is I'm pretty meticulous per se. So like even the sentence structure, I'll make sure that it's really, really tuned to the, the person I'm speaking to. So, yeah, so it, it really incentivizes them to at least try to use uh, whatever, whatever I'm trying to sell or whatever I'm trying to offer to them, yeah. Right. So, um, I think another advice that um, I'd like to get uh, from you is like, what's the quality that you look for in an investor? Because um, there are a lot of investors out there, right? So, how do you choose um, which investor to, to try to pitch to, to work with? And like, how do you even start the whole process of fundraising to begin with? Okay, so uh, I've got a very interesting take on this. Right. Uh, but I would like to share like a bit of a journey as well. So uh, at the beginning, when I first started fundraising for our mentors, I mean, like, I mean, your mentors and your advisors and, and people like, 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 like me now or like, like someone that's been through the process, they will always share with you, like you should always choose someone that, that, that you know, you can vibe with on a, on a friend or family level. Uh, right. Then also make sure that they are strategic. So it's smart money and not dumb money. But then when you're first starting out in your startup, you would be like, I'm a beggar, you know, I want money. You know? right. like that's the kind of mindset you would have when you first start out. Because you think that you're worthless. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the mindset I had uh, when I first started out on Mentors as well. So we were just bombing out um, messages left, right, center, uptown uh, to keep to investors. Yeah. Then once we find like a, a strategic investor or someone with interest, then we'll try to have a conversation. But after receiving several term sheets uh, right now, I, I'm confident enough to say that the mentors are right. <laughs> you right. need to find people that you can buy with. Uh, you, you can at least, at least like them on a friend-to-friend level because them investing in your company is a bit like marriage, you know? Like, they are, you're, you're in it for life. You can't like, it's very difficult for you to like divorce them, you see. Right. So you need to like them and they will be on your bags and your tails straight like almost 24-7. So you need to at least like them. That's number one. Uh, and number two, also, there needs to be strategic uh, interest. So really smart money. I mean, this, these are things that your mentors will always say. But coming from my own experience, also, 
there needs to be strategic interest because if not, you might as well just take a loan and just pay like 5% or 6% interest using DBS uh, uh, loan. So, so what's the real incentive for an investor to join? So there really needs to be that strategic uh, interest. And, and one thing that I really learned is that uh, it's important to value yourself a bit higher than what you think that you're valuing yourself. Not in a monetary sense, but in uh, in an investment sense. So investment sense meaning it's it's an opportunity for the investor to invest in you. I think that right. is yeah. the mindset you need to have when you when you when you try to make a round. Yeah. If not, it's gonna be headache, uh, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. That's my that's these are certain things that I learned. And uh looking back, it's a good learning experience. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm still learning anyway. Investments is probably one of the big, most complex things uh, on this planet. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many stakeholders to manage. There's so many different types of investors, angel investors, CVCs, venture capital. Uh, it's difficult to, to really understand the, the framework, but as long as you really find that strategic uh, interest and really have that mindset that it's an opportunity for the investor to invest in you because because if they don't, they don't invest in you, five years later down the road, you're valued at this much million dollars and it's a waste for them not to invest in you. I think that's the mindset uh, people should have when they proceed to investments. Yeah. Right. I'd like to wrap this whole podcast with a final question, uh, which is a question that I ask all the founders that I've interviewed thus far. What is one advice you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur? If you, yeah, this is a bit tricky because, okay, so if you're really aspiring to be an entrepreneur, I would say really just take that, that leap of faith and just do it especially if you're a student, you know, I mean, you have nothing to lose. Think about it. You really have nothing to lose. If you feel, if you feel being a startup, a student, uh, sorry, being an being entrepreneur, right? You can fall back to being a student. But just remember, remember to, to be lean. Don't like rent an office space. Don't like hire like 10 people. Uh, just be super lean. Hire when you need to hire. If you think that you don't, you don't need to hire them, don't even hire them because it means you don't need to. Hire right. out of necessity. That's very important. So be super lean. Don't take so much loans. Uh, try, try to use your savings to, to start your business then then yeah I, I mean I think I think it's really that leap of faith because if you can't do make that leap of faith is in, in, as a student you probably won't be able to do it as an adult uh, because you have so much more uh, uh, I, I guess responsibilities and obligations yeah right hey, thank you so much for your time Daryl yeah no worries Ivan. Mm-hmm. I mean the questions were amazing uh, thanks for the questions yeah. yeah thank you take care bye Right, so that was the episode with Daryl from Augmentus. And I think my biggest takeaway from him is two things, right? Um, firstly, is to be super lean. Like, try not to take a lot of loans. Try to use your savings to start um, when possible. Because I think that ultimately, when it comes to um, starting your own startup, it's good to not be tied down by too many obligations, in my opinion, especially when you first start up. And the second thing is to take that leap of faith, especially when you are a student. Because as a student, you'll probably have lesser commitments vis-a-vis when you become an adult, when you start a family, etc. I feel like being a student will also allow you to learn more because people are generally more willing to help you and to teach you. Thus, it is actually the best time for you to just dive into the deep end and take that leap of faith. Um, I think in my case, in my personal example... Um, starting this podcast has always been a way for me to consolidate all my learnings and all the experience of the founders and their journey and to sort of use this as a resource for 
aspiring entrepreneurs to listen to so that they can maybe gain some insights out of it. So that's just my thoughts for this episode. We have come to the end of this episode. I hope that this has been an insightful learning experience for you. Do follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts to catch future episodes. Till then, take care.